Good morning. It's a pleasure for me to bring the word today. We're continuing in our series, as you can tell, on the Ten Commandments. Just to put this in perspective, God had rescued the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, led them through the Red Sea into the desert, and then Moses gathered the Israelites at the base of Mount Sinai, and God spoke to the people audibly. The only time we have an example of Jesus speaking directly to the people in an audible voice and laid out for them his top ten things, his top ten commandments, about ways that he wanted the Israelites to relate to God as well as to each other. And so we're going through that uh, this morning. It's important to remember that uh, those words were, were not only spoken to him, but they're also written by his very hand in the tablets of stone. And so they're quite special. And so it's important that we would read them today and study them uh, together. Last week, Stuart covered the first of the Ten Commandments, which is, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. Today, we're going to skip the second one and come back to the third one, primarily because I planned to do uh, to do the third commandment, Evan planned to do the second commandment. He couldn't preach today, and I couldn't preach next week, so we switched. And I know that's not the great reason, but it's all I got, so we're doing it that way. Hopefully, you won't lose any continuity uh, in that regard. Before we get into the text, though, I want to talk a little bit about names. Uh, and you'll figure this out quite quickly because this morning, uh, understanding what names are is quite important to understanding the third commandment. My name is John. So it's not a name that I chose. Uh, it's, I'm fine with it. It's perfectly fine. I've had it all my life, and I'm not going to change it at this point. But my parents were responsible for picking my name before I was born. And f- so for those of you who are parents, you'll recognize that that is one of the few things in life that you get to pick and choose for your child that he doesn't get to argue about at the time. He can argue about it later when he's older and he wants to change it, he can do so, but at least uh, when he's born, he doesn't have much of a voice in that, and so you should cherish that authority that you have over your child. But more importantly, what I wanted to talk about was, was how it is that we go about choosing a name. Those of you who are young parents will remember, and even me as an old parent and as a grandfather, uh, there's a few things that you do. It used to be that you go and you get a baby book, but I think those don't really exist anymore. They used to have a pink and blue cover. I don't know why. Every single baby book had a pink and blue cover. But now you can just go to a website and you can get much better information much quicker and you don't have to spend the money on the book. And so what you do is you, 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 you go through the names. You, you look at names, you think of names, you pull them up, uh, and, and it's a great resource for figuring out what you might want to name your child. The second thing is you do is you want to say it aloud. You want to hear how it sounds, particularly how it matches up with your last name. So my parents would have said, John, John Hattenberger, John Hattenberger, that sounds okay. For example, Anita is a really nice first name for a little girl, but if your last name happens to be Beer or Bath, it's not a best choice for you. The rest of you will figure that out later. The other thing is you want to make sure that the three initials of your name don't have some embarrassing word like D-O-G or something like that, because your child will be straddled with that the rest of his life. And then you want to think of as many notorious associations as you can, which is partly the reason that the name Adolf isn't particularly popular today, uh, nor is um, a few other words that we won't need to go into. But So you want to make sure that there aren't any any of those weird associations. You want to make sure that look in your past and remember an old girlfriend or an old boyfriend, and if it's they're going to remind you of, of that person for the rest of your life, you probably don't want to choose that one. But the coolest thing you can do on those websites is find out what the meaning of the name is. Because every, every name, uh, or most names, have a meaning. And so you can go to those baby name websites, and they'll, they'll tell you what the name means. It's usually taken from some ancient culture or some ancient tradition. And, uh, but since it's on the Internet, it's got to be true. But uh, each of them, you'll, you'll find for most of the names, you'll have some sort of a meaning. 
Um, so today, if you were to go to one of those websites, you'd find that the most popular name for a little girl is Emma. Emma means a complete, whole, or universal. The most popular boy's name today, according to the website, is Noah. Noah means rest or comfort, which I'm not sure, maybe you're, it means you're going to have a lazy child. I'm not sure exactly what that means. I had to go and find out what the word, uh, the name John means. John means God is gracious. Um, and you can tell where I'm going here is that, is that I've lived my whole life without really knowing what my own name means. And so uh, it, it's important to, to think about it that way. My three, uh, my daughter has, has three kids. Uh, Adrian, uh, his name means dark. Uh, Soraya means princess. And if any of you know Soraya, you'll know that fits her quite well. And her third child's name is Tiger. Tiger means good golfer. <laughs> but for most people, once you pick a name, uh, you, you kind of forget it. Um, just as much as my parents would have picked the name John and said, God is gracious, um, we didn't talk about that ever again. And so for many people, for most people, our, our names are, are, are not, don't, don't have that meaning. We've lost that meaning, and they simply become a label. Our names are labels. There are ways of identifying us from other people. As an example, I have a friend whose name is Brian. You look up Brian on the baby name uh, website, and it says that Brian means strong, virtuous, and honorable one. And I saw Brian in the airport a couple weeks ago when I was traveling back from Japan, and, and I saw him kind of across the terminal. I said, hey, Brian. And he said, hey, John. And we had a little chat. But when I said, hey, Brian, what I wasn't saying, I wasn't saying, hey, strong, virtuous, honorable one. And he wasn't saying, hey, God is gracious. No. We were just calling out each other's name as a label to identify each other from all the other people who were in the airport. And it's a little sad because they're labels. In fact, it just as well might as be, be that, that, that he and I have a number. Hey, 237. Hey, 921. They're just simply labels. Now, as we dig in here, you'll see where I'm going with this, is that so when we talk about the name of the Lord, it's different. It's more than a label, and we'll come back to that in a second. Now, let's turn, if you would, with me to Exodus chapter 20, where we find the third commandment that God gave to the Israelites at the base of Mount Sinai, Exodus 20 and verse 7, this is the third commandment. He says, God says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, if I were to do a survey of a thousand people, let's say, and we were to ask them this question, what does it mean when God says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain? If we were to ask that question, what do you think it means? about 950 of them would say something like this. They would say, well, it means that you shouldn't use the name of God or Jesus as a cuss word when you're angry. You shouldn't say when you stub your toe. You flinch when I say that, and so do I. They would say, don't use God's name frivolously. Frivolously. For example, you shouldn't say, my shoe's untied. God knows your shoes untied. He doesn't need you to inform him of that. We would also say that don't use God's name to make an oath. Don't say something like, I didn't take any money out of your purse. And then we would say we don't want to use God or ask God to curse someone or something by saying, and I think we would all say that that 
that that is a is probably how our understanding of the third commandment is. And frankly, if we were honest with each other and with ourselves, we would say that we we often do that. We're not proud of it, most of us, but we often do that. Now, as an aside, okay, as an aside, this is off script for just a moment. We have to be careful that some of us think we're avoiding uh, violating the third commandment by cutting it as close as we can. So, for example, some of us might think it's okay to say, oh my gosh, instead of oh my God. And we say, oh, I didn't really commit that sin. I'm okay. Or we might say, gall darn it. We might say, jeez, instead of Jesus. Or my favorite one, we might get on our phone and type OMG, right? We say, oh, boy, I didn't violate the third commandment with that one. It's okay. But, you know, we're not fooling anybody, are we? Because the intention of our heart when we do that is to take God's name in vain and say those other words. And God knows it. So my suggestion, still on this aside, my suggestion is if you need a word that you need to shout or utter quietly, if you smash your finger with a hammer or if you burn your finger on a stove or you trip and fall down, Try this one, crud. Everybody say it together with me, crud. Huh? It's a four-letter word, so it qualifies. But, but I don't think it's offensive to God, and I don't think it violates the third commandment. So uh, you could try that if you want to. It's my wife's favorite expletive. Um, but if that's not powerful enough for you, I have another alternative. For example, if you get up in the middle of the night in the dark and you're bare feet and you walk into the living room and you step on a Lego and you need a big, powerful thing to say, crud and half. It's my wife's favorite. So I'm willing to share that with you. It's just my job of being helpful to you to avoid violating the third commandment. All right, off of that, back to Scripture, okay? The point is that most people think the third commandment means this. They think it means that don't use God's name as a cuss word when you're angry, and when you use God's name, make sure you've got something important to say to him. Now, if we have that attitude, and many of us do, we might come to the conclusion that of all the Ten Commandments, the third commandment is trivial. It's trivial. When you compare it to do not uh, avoid idolatry, avoid adultery, avoid murder, stealing, and lying, compared to those, if that's our definition of the third commandment, we probably put it over here and say, not exactly sure why it wound up in God's top ten, but let's move on. The state of Texas, many of you won't know, the state of Texas has executed 474 convicted criminals since 1976, the death penalty, either by injection or electric chair or by hanging. And most of those were for violating the sixth commandment, which is do not murder. I can tell you categorically that not a single one of those 474 men who were executed were executed for uttering God's name in vain when he stepped on a Lego. But still, most people have this idea that the third commandment simply means don't use God's name as a cuss word when you're angry, and don't use God's name frivolously. So the question is, is that all it means? Well, it means all of that, but it means a whole lot more than that. 
And we have a couple of clues as to why we should think that. The first clue is that it is included in God's top ten commandments that he's laid out for us. And so it must be important. The second clue is that this one, the third commandment, is the only one of the ten commandments that's got its own punishment attached to it like a trailer on a truck. It's the only one. And so we'd be wise to take a look at this and make sure that our understanding of what this means is what it indeed means. And I will tell you right now, you may be surprised it means a lot more than what you might be thinking. So let's go find out. Now, in order to understand the full meaning of this commandment, we have to understand the meaning of two phrases. Two phrases. The first phrase is the name of the Lord, and the second phrase is in vain. And so I want to just unpack those two. The first one will take me quite a bit of time to show you what that means. The second one will take a much shorter period of time. So what does it mean when, by the, 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 the phrase, the name of the Lord? What does that mean? Well, I can tell you that it means a lot more than simply a label or a tag or a handle or a title that we assign to God. It's more than that. It's also a lot more than simply a way to identify the one true God as opposed to all those other false gods that are running around in the universe. It's a lot more than that. And it's a lot more than simply a way to get God's attention while you're walking through an airport or when you're studying and praying at home. More than that. To understand the, the, the phrase, the name of the Lord, we have to go back to the Old Testament. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at a whole bunch of verses in the Old Testament. I'm going to go through them kind of quickly. But as we're going through that, I don't want you to lose sight of the main point. The main point of going through these verses this morning is that so we'll get a view about what the name of the Lord, that phrase, what that phrase really means. And so as we go through these, keep this in your mind. The, name, the, the phrase, the name of the Lord, means this. It means the identity, the character, and the very person of God. Okay? The identity, the character, and the very person of God, which is not the definition of the name John. Different. First, what we'll do is we'll look at God's name uh, specifically, and then we'll see how uh, writers of the Old Testament referred to uh, the phrase, the name of the Lord. God's name was uh, first revealed when God appeared to Moses at Mount Sinai in the burning bush. You all remember this story? This is before uh, Moses had led the Israelites out of uh, slavery in Egypt. God had appeared to Moses, and he recruited him, he recruited Moses to be the leader of the Israelite people. Well, Moses wasn't real excited about that. He had some doubts about whether he could do it properly, and so he expressed those doubts to God. And in that process of expressing his doubts to God, uh, God then communicated to Moses his name. And we see that in Exodus chapter 3, very clearly, in verses 13 to 15, which we'll read this morning. It said, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What's his name? What shall I say to them? Good question. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God, your fa the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you, and this is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So, God told Moses his name, I am. But more importantly, in telling him his name, God, his name told Moses a lot of things about God himself, about his character, about his nature, about his very identity. The name I am speaks of God's self-existence, that God didn't need anybody else 
for God to exist. He talks about God's self-sufficiency, that God doesn't need anybody else in order to continue to exist. It talks about God's eternal nature in that God, there's no beginning and there's no end of God. He just, he, he is. I am, he says. And then it talks about the supreme sovereignty that God is. That God is supreme king of kings and lord of lords over all of the universe. And so his character comes out in his name. For us, a name is a label. It is something we have, but it's not something we are. Whereas in God's economy, it's more than a label. God's name is inseparable from God's very being. For God, his name is what he is. And so, when we see the phrase, the name of the Lord in the Old Testament, what it means is the identity, the character, and the very person of God. Now, what I want to do is look through the Old Testament very quickly and look at several examples of this. And each time as we see this, you can be thinking about it. Every time you see the phrase, the name of the Lord, you can substitute in there the identity, the character, and the very person of God. You'll have a good understanding of it. First one I want to look at is from Isaiah chapter 30. So I'm going to run through these. Some of them will be on the screen. Some of them won't be. Uh, so Isaiah was describing God. He's describing God's anger. Describing God as having burning anger and lips of fury. And he calls God, not God, but he calls him the name of the Lord. Isaiah 30, 27, he says, Behold, the name of the Lord comes from afar, burning with his anger and in thick rising smoke. His lips are full of fury and his tongue is like a devouring fire. The psalmist in Psalm 20 uses the phrase, the Lord, and the phrase, the name of the Lord, interchangeably in the same verse. In verse 20, uh, uh, Psalm 20, verse 1, he says, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. The psalmist trusts in the name of the Lord. In Psalm 20, verse 7, just six verses later, he says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. The psalmist praises the Lord. He praises both the Lord and he praises the name of the Lord. In Psalm 135, 1, he says, Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord. Isaiah, in chapter 24, verse 15, he gives glory to the name of the Lord. He said, In the coastlands of the sea... Give glory to the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. Proverbs 18.10 says this. It says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. And in Psalm 122, 3 and 4, the psalmist gives thanks to the Lord. He said, The tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, give thanks to the name of the Lord. In the temple itself, the temple that Solomon built, he built for the name of the Lord. We see this very clearly in 1 Kings 8, verses 17 and 19. This is Solomon speaking. He says, Now it was in the heart of David my father to build a house, that is the temple, to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to David my father, Whereas it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build a house, but your son, that is Solomon, who shall be born to you, shall build the house for my name. In each of those verses, it's easy to see that this phrase, the name of the Lord, isn't just a label that we put on God. Each of those cases, it's clear that what you're talking about is you're talking about the identity, the character, and the very person of God. 
Now, this carries over into the New Testament also. It isn't just in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the name of the Lord is bestowed upon Jesus. Jesus being the second of the Trinity, of one God in three persons, and Jesus is God. And so the name of the Lord is ascribed to Jesus. This is very clear in Philippians 2, verses 9 to 11. It says, Therefore, God has exalted him, that is Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it's why Paul writes in Romans 10, referring to Jesus and referring to salvation. Referring to Jesus and referring to salvation. What does Paul write? Romans 10, 13, he says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, so all this is to say that when you see the phrase, the name of the Lord, it has a totally different meaning than the name of your child or the name of your brother. For us, a name is a label. It's something we have, but not something that we are. But God's name is inseparable from himself. It is inseparable from the person of God. So the phrase, the name of the Lord, simply means the identity, the character, and the very person of God. Now, with that in mind, we're going to jump to this other phrase, which is in vain. What does in vain mean? Looking back at Exodus 20, verse 7 again. God says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will hold him guiltless, not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So what does God mean by in vain? Well, this is a little easier and quicker to explain. The word or the phrase in vain is translated from a Hebrew word, which is shav, there won't be a test on that later, but it's a Hebrew word. And the word shav means literally emptiness or nothingness. Emptiness or nothingness. And so the idea of the take the name of the Lord in vain is literally to make it look empty or make it look like nothing. Or to say it differently is to make the name of the Lord trivial or unimportant or small or cheap or low or insignificant. And so if we take these two definitions, the one definition of the name of the Lord and the other of in vain, if we take those two and put them together, we can rephrase the third commandment this way. You shall not do anything that causes the identity, the character, or the very person of God to look empty, trivial, or unimportant. We'll say that again. You shall not do anything that causes the identity, the character, and the very person of God to look empty, trivial, or unimportant. Now, stated that way, the third commandment seems a little weightier, a little heavier, a little more difficult to do than the way we defined it before. Why? Because there's lots of different ways that we can cause the identity, the character, and the very person of God to look empty, trivial, or unimportant. There's lots of ways. We can use God's name frivolously and say, we can use it as a, as a, as a cuss word, we can use it as a, in a cursing manner. We can use it as a, as a swearing an oath and say, all those things count. Those all fit the definition. But it doesn't stop there. 
All of those things cause the identity, the character, and the very person of God to seem unimportant and trivial and insignificant. But it doesn't stop there. In fact, we've got to watch everything that we say. Everything that comes out of our mouths has got the possibility of violating the third commandment. Whenever we speak in a way that makes God's character seem small or insignificant, it's a violation of the commandment. And so when we say things like, God isn't fair, when we criticize God and we say, God doesn't care about me, or when we slander God's character and say, God won't forgive me of that sin, or we say, God is not good, or we might use God's name as a way to advance our own desires, when we say things like, God told me to do this, all we're doing really there is recognizing and trying to pull upon God's name and, and try to validate or justify some decision or some action that we've taken. God didn't reveal that to you. We can violate this commandment even when we pray. Most of us in this world today, when we, end, end, when we get to the end of our prayer, what do we say? We usually say, in Jesus' name. And Jesus told us to pray this way. But he, the purpose for saying that is to say that, that Jesus is in heaven. And when we, say, when we pray in Jesus' name, we're drawing upon the almighty power of the second person of the Trinity, God himself, Jesus. And we're praying in such a way that it, it's consistent with the will of God the Father. And so that little phrase in Jesus' name has got power and might to it. And when we treat it in a casual and cavalier way and use it as simply a way to sign off on our prayers, we're disrespecting the name of God. When we treat it like a way to hang up on the phone, bye for now. Or if you're in a walkie-talkie, over and out. Or signing off on an email, kind regards. We're violating the third commandment. Because we're making the identity, the character, and the very person of God seem insignificant, unimportant, empty, and trivial. But it's not just things that we say. It's also things that we do. Because there's plenty of things that we can do that can make the identity, the character, and the very person of God seem unimportant, and trivial, and insignificant. In fact, when we sin, by association with God, making God seem trivial and unimportant. Scripture says that when we sin, we profane the name of God. This little phrase, profane the name of God, if you were to search it, you'd find many examples where God uses that phrase in relationship to man's sins. And that little phrase, profane the name of God, the word profane is very similar to this in vain thing. Because the word profane means to make something small or, or common or unholy or insignificant or unimportant. And so to profane the name of God is to cause God to look empty and trivial and unimportant. And in Amos 2, God told the Israelites that their sins, in this case their particular sin was greed and sexual immorality, he said their sins, they, they made God's name look bad, and it was a violation of the third commandment. So we'll turn there for just a second, Amos 2, verses 6 and 7. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. 
Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profane. Their sins profaned God or they made his name to be unimportant and insignificant. God called them out for it. In the same way, if we call ourselves Christians, that is Christ followers, and we take that title Christian, we put it on ourselves, as we often do. We associate ourselves with Jesus that way. And we thereby take the name of Jesus on. The name of Jesus then becomes our own. Every sin that we commit makes the identity, the character, the very person of Jesus to look small and insignificant and unimportant. When we gossip about a friend or a neighbor, when we fail to tell someone who needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, when we lust after another woman, when we sing songs or pray words that we do not mean, when we harbor anger and judge someone, when we say we love Jesus but don't follow his commands, whatever sin it is that we commit, we're falling into the trap of making the identity, the character, and the very person of God look small and insignificant and unimportant. And we're violating the third commandment. And the third commandment comes with a punishment. As I said, it's the, it's the only one of the ten that has a punishment hooked up to it, like a trailer on a pickup truck. Going back to Exodus 27, it says, You should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The Lord will not hold him guiltless. Now that is a very vague but serious phrase. There aren't any specifics in that. It's one of those statements where there's very little said, but there's a huge amount that's implied. It's a little bit like this phrase, this other phrase. You've seen this in a movie, it's in a Western. I don't even know, it's probably seen it in five or six different movies. The picture of a saloon, which always has those special doors. No one has those doors except in a saloon. And there's a horse thief at the bar drinking, and the sheriff, with a white hat, walks into those swinging doors. He calls out the horse thief by name. He says, come quietly with me. And then the horse thief turns away from his drink at the bar and his right hand slowly goes towards his gun and he's biting his lip a little bit trying to figure out whether he's faster than the sheriff or whether he ought to just give in and go along with him. And then the sheriff says in a very quiet voice, he says this phrase that's very similar to what God says. He says, I wouldn't do that if I were you. And that little phrase is the same kind of phrase that God uses about our punishment because it's very little is said, but there's very much implied. Very little is said, I wouldn't do that for you, which implies that I'm faster than you. And you pull your, drum, your gun, you're going to get a bullet in the heart before you can even get it out of the holster. And so it's scarier in that way. And so when God says that the Lord will not hold him guiltless, it's a little bit like that. It's an implied threat. And it's scarier because we're not exactly sure what he means by it. We know it's quite serious. But God doesn't even leave us wondering what he's going to do as punishment for the third commandment. He makes it very clear to us in Leviticus 24. In Leviticus 24, what happened was in the story, there's two Israelites and they're having a fight. It doesn't say what it was about. It doesn't matter. And as they're punching each other, one of the Israelites utters a curse. 
He curses God's name, and it says this in the Bible, in Leviticus 24, he says he blasphemed the name and cursed. And so the people, the Israelites, took these two, this guy who had cursed God, and they took him to Moses to find out what they should do to him. And Moses asked God what he should do, and this is what God said to do. He said very clearly, Leviticus 24, 14, he said, Bring out of the camp the one who cursed, and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head, and let all the congregation stone him. So the state of Texas may never have issued the death penalty for someone who violated the third commandment, but God did. God said he will not hold guiltless anyone who takes the name of the Lord in vain, and we should take God at his word. God is saying he will punish us. God is saying this is a very great sin. It is a sin for which Jesus died, and therefore, if you trust in Jesus, Jesus' death on the cross pays the penalty for that sin, and it's a good thing. Because the penalty is the death penalty, but Jesus' death covered over that. But the point I'm trying to make is that it is a very great sin. It's a very serious sin. It's the reason it's in God's top ten, and it's the reason it's got its own punishment attached to it. We should take it very seriously. So, for the third commandment, it's clear what we should not do, right? We have a very clear picture of what we should not do. We should not do anything that causes the identity, the character, the very person of God to look empty, trivial, or unimportant. But what if we turned it around? What, In other words, instead of focusing on what we should not do, what does this commandment tell us about what we should do? When I think with an understanding that we have, it's easy to turn the words around and get the opposite meaning. The same idea, just stated in positive terms, it would go something like this. It would say, speak and act. Speak and act in such a way that causes the identity, the character, and the very person of God to look huge, awesome, mighty, and beautiful. And so, as for our speech, in everything we speak, in everything that comes out of our mouths, which should be worship and honor and respect and reverence for the name of God. Jesus taught us to pray like this. He said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. This idea of hallow means that we are to revere or hold up or exalt or praise or glorify God's name. And so we're directed, like the psalmist, praise the name of the Lord. As we sang this morning, if you're paying attention, all the songs we sang this morning were all about praising God and praising His name. We should do the same. Much as the psalmist did in Psalm 113, 1-3, where he says, Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. From this time forth and forever, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Amen. And as for our actions, what about our actions? Our actions speak louder than words many times. And so we can do things in this life that will enable and cause God and cause his, his identity, his character, and the very person of God 
to be shown to be huge and glorious and magnificent. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, where he turned a lot of our ideas about sin upside down, he made a very good point. He's a very, very strong point. He said that our good works glorify God. He said, Matthew 5, 16, in the same way you let your light shine before others. So when other people see what you're doing, so that they, that is other people, may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so there we've got the third commandment. Speak and act in ways that cause the identity, the character, and the very person of God to look huge and awesome, mighty, and beautiful. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we just come before you this morning and want to thank you. Lift your name on high. Lift you on high, your character, your identity, every person. You are the great I am, as we sang this morning. Lord God, we come before you and are humbled, as I am humbled by the third commandment and all that it means. It's simply about cussing when we're angry, about making you and your identity and your character and your very person looking big and magnificent, strong and mighty, huge. Where we confess that many times we don't do that. In our speech and in our actions, we fall short of that. We know that the blood of your Son covers it, but it still disappoints you. It still hurts. And so, Lord, as we go from here, my prayer is for me and for all of us, Lord, that we would consider carefully what a big God you are, how magnificent you are, and take seriously the third commandment. Lord, I know this prayer is in accordance with your will, and I know Jesus is standing by your side. And so I pray this in the powerful name, of your son, Jesus. Amen.